There are two kinds of people in the insurance industry. Those who are captive and those who are free. This is the Agency Freedom Podcast. Captivity can go far beyond the companies you represent. It starts between your ears and its impact is felt in every corner of your business. We're all about helping agency principals and sales professionals reach your maximum potential and flex your freedom. If your goals are big enough, you're going to have to get uncomfortable to be able to reach them. Our team at RiskWell is living this out every single day. This show is where I share our successes, our failures, and everything I learn along the way. We deliver relevant, tactical, and actionable content from industry peers, innovative partners, and a variety of leaders from other business verticals. We're not holding anything back. There's no upsell, no guru pitch, and no fluff. It's time to unshackle yourself from captivity and make your freedom jump with the Agency Freedom Podcast. Let's go. All right, Freedom Jumpers, back again for another episode. This one, I I am leaning into the conversation for sure because it is my distinct privilege to bring to you a Mr. Will Jones, who is the editor-in-chief of Independent Agent Magazine. And this is, without a doubt, one of the most influential and and widely read publications in the entire PNC insurance world. Uh, It's put on by the IIABA, otherwise known simply as the big eye, for those of you that may not be familiar, if you're living under a rock or something for the last few years. Will, thanks for joining us, man. Yeah, thank you very much for having me. Now, this is a distinct privilege. Uh, The work that you and your colleagues do at Independent Agent Magazine uh, really spotlights the best and brightest of our industry, the current trends, the the events that we should be aware of. You know, I'm sure we'll talk about the 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 transition from print media to digital media and the way that people in our industry uh, receive and consume information. Uh, I I think that's probably an interesting angle to take uh, in, in this conversation at some point. Uh, but first off, I would love for you to you know share your backstory uh, with our audience here. Uh, who you are and, and you know how you've gotten to this point at your career as editor in chief of a major publication. It's got to be a, an interesting story. So why don't you just give us that far uh, that part first, and uh, we'll we'll take it from there. So I'll just hand you the mic. And who are you, and how did you get <laughs> to this point? Yeah, thank you. Well, yeah. So I mean, as, as your listeners can probably tell by now, you know, I'm from the UK originally. So I'm from from Southwest England, uh, kind of the county is called Wiltshire. It's quite a sort of a rural area. But you know, my education is in um, journalism. So you know, I think I'm coming to the the insurance industry with with that background. That's where I got my degree. But uh, anybody who is also you know tried to be an inspiring journalist will know that it's a it's a pretty rocky road um, to get to the point where, you know, people will actually pay you for the words that you write. Yep. So, you know, it, it, that took a lot of perseverance. Um, I did a lot of jobs which, you know, were not related to journalism, but I think, you know, I, I love all that background that I have. I worked in, in hospitality. I worked in, in warehouses. I did a lot of, I thought maybe, you know, a lot of kind of millennials that sort of you know, graduated around the time of that sort of two, 2008 periods um, would probably have a similar story where they didn't necessarily, you know, find a job where they thought they belonged at first. But, um, yeah, so I've always sort of 
tried to be a journalist, tried to be a writer, done a lot of blogging um, and things like that. But um, really, I guess the, the main thing of how I got here was, um, you know, chasing that journalism dream. I, I moved to Brazil, which is where I went, met my wife, who is American. And I worked a little bit freelance while I was there, but, you know, being paid cents per, per word sort of thing, starting to get paid, but uh, still not very much. So, you know, I guess, long story short, we moved to the US and, you know, I was applying for a green card you know, through through marriage uh, to my wife. And the first job that I got was an underwriter's assistant with a, a brokerage, um, which is where I got my, you know, introduction to insurance, really. I guess it's kind of a dumb story, but obviously still chasing that writing uh, career path. I searched writer in Indeed and underwriter uh, came up. So mm. I kind of thought that there would be more writing involved in the underwriter's <laughs> assistant job. Um, but, you know, oh, I just needed the job at the time and I took it. And, you know, I hear it from other people with the interviews that I do. Um, but, you know, I really saw what insurance was and yeah. how, how big it is and how much it you know influences the economy and, and that it's everywhere. And, you know, I kind of turned into one of those people that, that started talking about insurance to people that didn't ask to talk about insurance. You know, I think, as I say, that, that book kind of bit me. But, you know, my wife was offered a job in D.C. So we moved to D.C. and um, that's where I found my job with the big eye. So I was mm. able to combine those two pieces of experience and yeah, that was five years ago now. Um, so, you know, I came in at the ground floor as an assistant again and just sort of learned everything that I could, you know, talked to as many people and, and worked hard. And yeah, now I'm the, the editor in chief. Now we've got a team. The magazine is a team of three. Um, you know, we work within the, the big eye national communications team. And, um, yeah, it's been a, a bit of a roller coaster the past sort of two years through the pandemic and, you know, figuring out what to cover and things like that. But, um, you know, I really enjoy the work that I do. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm happy uh, to, to share some of that experience with you. Hmm. Man, it, that is such a cool story, honestly. I, I, I love that. So you're telling me a Brit and a Yank meet in Brazil, fall in love, and then come back to the States. And through a whole lot of grit and hustle and grind, you make your way through the ranks and now you're editor in chief of a, a very influential publication. You know, you may not be an American by birth, sir, but that sure sounds like a good old fashioned American success story. Yeah. I mean, you know, I do, I've, I'm in love with America as well and in lots of different ways, like, you know, learning about the, the origins of the country. And, you know, I actually live on the West Coast. So, you know, learning about how people were expanded in the, the frontier. I mean, mm. that's a pretty incredible story. And, and sometimes, you know, I live in Oregon. Um, so when I look out the window and I see the, all the forests, it just kind of blows me away that people a hundred years ago came out here and decided to yep. start a town. Um, it must be, uh, it, yeah, it's quite overwhelming sometimes. I would probably be out of line if I didn't at least acknowledge uh, the death of Queen Elizabeth today uh, with you being a Brit. I, I know all Brits uh, feel a certain weight. Uh, when when the monarchy uh, takes a hit like that. So uh, definitely best wishes and sentiments for you and all of your uh, compatriots uh, of British origin on a day when we're, you know, all collectively grieving a, a titan. I mean, what a life. 96 years old. W what a lady she was. 
Um, so long live the queen, as they say. I, I felt like that was, you know, it's just appropriate to say, given what I literally just learned about about five minutes before we got on this, uh, this recording. Yeah. I, yeah. I just found out half an hour ago as well. Um, yeah. I mean, you know, true leader, I think, you know, she deserves a whole lot of credit for the way that she was a, a woman and a leader yeah. in the fifties for one. Um, and how she sort of, you know, worked her way through the past sort of, you know, 60 or so years and almost without really tarnishing her reputation in any way, despite yeah. being in the public eye throughout all of it. I think you can kind of count on one hand maybe the, the mistakes that she's made through that period of time. Um, but, um, yeah, I say it's, it's quite hard to digest at the moment. Uh, but, um, and the crazy thing is that she's been the monarch for so long. I don't think anybody really knows what to do because nobody in living memory or well, very few people in living memory have actually been alive when the monarch of the British royal family has passed away. So mm. it kind of, Nobody's really sure what to do, I think. Uh, so does it become King Charles at this point? Is that how this works? I think so. I think, um, you know, I think the Queen's health has been um, in question probably for about the past two years. Um, and I think there were some signs coming out of the royal family about a year or so ago where it looks like it will be Charles. Um, I think there's some, there is some doubt because of Charles's age. I think he's, you know, he's 60 something himself himself. So, you know, whether it passes over and goes um, straight to Prince William is is out for debate. But, I, you know, I think I think it probably will be Charles. But as I say, it's it's very fresh news right now. So um, we'll, we'll hmm. see what happens. I, I have to confess a certain amount of spectacle there that I've always found to be terribly interesting. You know, it, it's you know very similar to Americans and our fascination with the presidency, you know, going back to even to the beginning with George Washington and, and whatnot. There's this mystique uh, of of that kind of power. But then, you know, you, you look at the British monarchy as, you know, one of the examples throughout the entirety of modern history of, you know, this is what, you know, power looks like. This is what influence and culture and, and whatnot. Um, very, very interesting subject. I know it's so completely outside the scope of this podcast, no, but yeah, I'm talking to a Brit on the day the Queen dies. I can't <laughs> let the opportunity pass without at least mentioning it. Yeah, it's it's quite a complex thing. I think you know people do often ask me about it anyway. Uh, living over here, and I think in the UK, a lot a lot of the sentiment towards the the monarchy is, is a lot of indifference. Really, it's you know it just is. I think people yeah. don't truly question it that much because it's just always been that way. But um, you know, we talk about power. I mean, the Queen, she's actually devolved a huge amount of power over the past sort of 50 years through, through the Commonwealth and, and through the uh, Parliament in the UK. And I think, you know, the, the magazine has just released its uh, leadership issue um, uh, with the, the new big eye chairman on, on the cover, um, John Costello. And I think that's a, a trait of true leadership is being able to, you know, to share your power and to, to trust other people around you. Um, so, yeah, Queen Elizabeth, she was a, a, a true leader. Now, I was looking over my shoulder trying to figure out where my copy of this month's uh, issue is. Uh, I, I know it came in the mail just a, a couple of days ago. I haven't read it yet. Yeah. Um, but yeah, long live the queen. And uh, what a great example of leadership. And uh, like you said, uh, just class and dignity to the very end. It never really rocked by, you know, big scandal, no, no stains on her record for the most part. Uh, just a fantastic example of, of what humility and leadership looks like. 
she, I'm sure she'll be missed by, you know, all of your entire country and even the world then. I'm not sure how to pivot from that other than just to pivot and hit the little sound effect thing uh, yeah. and, and get back to Will Jones because that is why we are here. So thanks for sharing your background and, and what you've done to get to this point. It sounds like a whole lot of hustle and, and waiting uh, for opportunities to present themselves and taking your shot and, you know, climbing the ladder and getting where you are now. So uh, I'm just going to ask a little bit of a personal question for you. Uh, in the enjoyment, the the enthusiasm, the satisfaction for you as a professional, what's it like helping steer the ship and and help guide the the content calendar uh, for such an influential publication that you know uh, is going to be read by tens of thousands of your peers uh, in the industry? Uh, what's that like for you, having that kind of influence as a journalist? Um, you know, yeah, it is it's quite a lot of, of responsibility. Um, but I think, you know, that's, that's where success comes from. Um, so, you know, you have to sort of take that responsibility. And, you know, as I mentioned, I'd, I've worked really hard to, to actually be paid to write and to edit. So, you know, when the opportunity presented itself, I did, I did see it as a, as a chance for myself to, to make that all that hard work pay off. Um, so yeah, it's a big responsibility. And I mean, you know, the magazine itself, um, you know, last year the association celebrated its 125th year anniversary. Um, the magazine itself has been running for, I think, nearly just over a hundred years. So, you know, when I was, uh, you know, researching, um, a, a few articles that we wrote last year to celebrate the anniversary, um, you know, I read a little bit about the beginnings of the magazine. Um, you know, how the, basically the association, at one point in history, the association was in some debt. And the way that it got itself out of debt was by selling advertising in the independent agency bulletin, as it was known at the time. Um, so, you know, the magazine has played a, a key role in the association for a really long time. Um, and both, you know, communicating with, with agents and, and the wider industry. Um, but, um, yeah, while I was researching that as well, I mean, I came across a list, a list of previous editors of this magazine. Um, and I mean, I don't think anybody would sort of, you know, recognize many of those names, but, you know, the fact that that's actually written down in a book somewhere, um, it kind of just sort of hit home a little bit for me that this is, this is where I am now. Um, and, you know, that there is a lot of responsibility, but, um, you know, in, in terms of the content and, you know, deciding what we're going to cover, um, you know, a lot of it is about just, you know, really being curious, um, you know, I read a lot of the, you know, other newsletters that are around there from, you know, our, our competitors. And I do spend a lot of time on LinkedIn, see what people are posting about on Twitter and on social media. Um, you know, tuning into to webcasts and, and podcasts. Um, so just trying to stay abreast of, of everything that's happening. Um, and then, you know, a key part, which I know maybe we'll come on to about the, the print versus uh, digital thing is, um, for the digital content that we post is really paying attention to the, the amount of page views that we get on articles. Um, you know, if people are, are interested in a certain topic, then, you know, we know we've got to, got to provide more information on that. Um, and, you know, I'm very, very lucky that even just within the big eye, just with the big eye national, um, there's a huge amount of experts that I can go to, um, to, you know, to get their insight on. You know, whether it's our government affairs team, uh, big eye markets, um, you know, best practices, agency universe study, 
um, big eye floods, all, all this stuff that the big eye does that, you know, where we provide to members, I can rely on these experts because, you know, we've got them in house, but then also, you know, I've got a, a whole tens of thousands of big eye members that I can call to, to ask if, if they would like to give an interview and give me more insight there. So I really see it as a, I don't know, more of an ecosystem with the magazine that we sort of are working with everybody internally and, and externally to, to make this project, which, you know, I'm more of the, the custodian of it for, for now. Um, and that, you know, I'm just, I'm looking after it because it's, it's been around for so long that, you know, and it will be around well after, you know, I'm, I'm the edit, no longer the editor, whenever, whenever that might be. Hmm. You know, it's got to be difficult trying to decide, you know, what's news and what's not, what deserves to be in and what doesn't. How did, how is, you said there's only a staff of three, which honestly I'm, I'm shocked at. I, I, I got the feeling it was a lot more than three. I think, as you said very briefly, you, you guys probably uh, lean on the public communications and uh, marketing wings of the big eye and other ways where they may not technically be on your staff, but you're leveraging other resources uh, that are at your disposal to help make things happen. Uh, but I, I'd love to hear you talk about that for a second of, you know, how do you decide what deserves to get a spotlight shown on it uh, and what doesn't? You know, how do you make that decision? And what what does the, the the process look like for, hey, we should write an article on such and such? Yeah, I mean, I think I would probably just go back to more of like sort of the, the journalism sort of basics, really. Um, I mean, you know, to, to begin with, you know, news, you know, involves the word new. So, you know, every time we try to write a story, um, you know, I guess we're, we're trying to make sure that we're writing something that's new and it hasn't been written before. Um, so, you know, whether that's coming from in-house or, you know, we do, we work with you know, internal marketing teams and we work with agents who want to write for the magazine. We're always welcome to those. And, you know, we work with, you know, marketing teams and communication teams from companies, you know, from all your major carriers and from insure techs and from advisory companies. So, I mean, that, that's just, it's just the great thing about insurance that there's always something new because whatever's happening in, in the economy, they kind of, there's going to be a line that you can draw between a type of coverage, which is new and that our audience who are extremely engaged in their prof- profession are going to be interested in, in reading about. Um, so, I mean, I mean, that's kind of, kind of the first thing is just keeping it current. Um, I mean, the, you know, the pandemic provided, you know, a whole host of things to write about. Um, you know, from again, going back to like our, our government advocacy. So things that, you know, that they were advocating for on the Hill to, you know, coverage changes and new exposures, which, you know, you can provide agents with information about those types of things. So, um, you know, we do put, I try to put agents at the core, um, of what we do, but then, you know, coupling that with some sort of like journalistic sensibility of, of just making sure it's, it's fresh, really, and current. Um, it's quite hard to do that in the print magazine sometimes, um, because it's a monthly. Um, but, you know, we can respond a lot quicker in our, uh, our newsletters and on iamagazine.com with, you know, some, some news that might come out that week. Uh, so, um, again, with all of that, again, listening to the analytics and, and doing more of what's, what's hit well and what doing less of what hasn't really. 
So a lot of people are probably going to be interested uh, to hear you say that a lot of your contributors just come from uh, your readership. They come from Big Eye members uh, who raise their hand and say, hey, I'd like to help out. What, what, uh, what do you need stuff written about? You have some sort of an editorial calendar from what I can tell. I, I was uh, fortunate enough to be tapped for uh, one of those brief little columns, uh, a little brief Q&A thing a few months ago. I haven't written yet. Uh, an actual article for uh, the magazine or the website, but uh, I'm down for that at some point if the opportunity presents itself. For for our listeners out here, what's the best way to engage with you all if somebody had interest in being a contributor? I know there's several different formats and flavors of content that you guys put out. Uh, what what sort of messaging do you want to have to to the audience of best way to engage with the magazine other than read it uh, and you know put it into practice in your office, the, the things that are talked about. Uh, what do you suggest for people that want to get involved in, in other ways beyond that? Well, yeah, I mean, you know, obviously anyone can reach out to me anytime, um, particularly members. We, I love having you know, bylines from, from members. You know, those are the people that, uh, that I serve. So including, including them in the magazine and bylines is, is something that we're always open to. And, you know, I think we, we appreciate that, you know, Agents are agents and they might not necessarily have a, have a writing background, but, you know, we're here to help. Um, you know, we can do so many different things of the ways that we can turn a, an interview into an article and, you know, help, help agents like finesse their articles. So, you know, we're always open to submissions, but, you know, anyone can, can shoot me an email at any time about that. Um, but, you know, I think you're deciding on, on the topic is, is probably one of the, the main things and, you know, it's just, just finding a story that hasn't been written yet. Um, and also writing a story, which is going to be helpful to your peers and to other agents. You know, like, you don't, you don't want to write a story in, in first person, uh, you know, talking about, about yourself. You really, we're a community with the big eye and with the magazine. So what we do is we try to help the other agents. So, you know, we're always looking for, for tips, uh, things that people can do better with you know, advice of how they came across a problem and, and how they solved it. Um, you know, mm. that's, that's always, always the thing uh, that we're looking for. But, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I was interested to ask you actually, um, you know, I'm, I'm aware that you are, are working on, on a book at the moment. Um, yep. so I was kind of interested to, to learn a little bit about your, your writing process. Like, how do you, you know, as a, with an insurance background, do you, do you have any writing background as well? Or how, how did you approach it? You know, it, it's first started off as just something that I see as a, a almost a requirement. Uh, once you accumulate a certain amount of, uh, of knowledge, of experience, of information, you almost have a responsibility to your peers uh, to share that, you know, best practice, I, I try my very best to practice a blue ocean mentality, have that abundance mindset where there is so much opportunity uh, for all of us to succeed in, in radical ways that most of us never dreamed possible before getting into this industry. Uh, because of that, I don't feel any need uh, to keep the good ideas to myself. Uh, I've personally been the recipient of coaching and mentoring and great ideas that have been shared with me in a variety of forums. But the book itself, uh, and I'm not sharing the title of it yet, but copyright stuff is in progress. And 
people a lot smarter than me said, don't tell anybody what your title is until you've registered the copyright because you never know, bad things happen if you get excited and share stuff too early. Um, but I'm about five chapters in, uh, about just a little bit short of 10,000 words. Uh, it, it's going to end up being somewhere around 150 pages or so. And uh, the, the subject of it really is just how to successfully launch uh, and grow a scratch independent agency. Uh, we're trying to take it from my story personally of this is what we did. This is how uh, I started. These are a lot of the mistakes that I've made, uh, things that I did, didn't did do the right way, things that I've, I had it to do over again for the first time. I would do them differently. Uh, and just exposing best practices uh, along the way uh, and helping people with, with structure. Uh, you asked how the process is. Uh, for me, it started off with What's the mission of this book? You know, like any any sales conversation, right? You know, when you're going into a sales conversation, you're all, you should be thinking, okay, what do I already know? What do I need to know? What do I not yet know right now? And what is the desired outcome of this conversation? What do I want to happen as soon as this conversation is done? And what are the next steps after? After I'm in this conversation and after it's complete, what do I want someone to be doing next? What comes after the conversation? And I think for me personally, this book what was basically that same process. You know, answering the question first, why write a book? There are so many books. There's so many books out there. So many topics have already been covered ad nauseum. And the last thing I want to be is a repackaging, a, you know, a reformulation of something that's already been said. Uh, where it's some sort of, you know, ego festival where somebody says, oh, well, look, somebody made a book. Somebody needs to feel important and, you know, feel good about themselves. They need to be complimented by their peers. Like, I really don't see that as an efficient way, even if I wanted to do that, which there's really no motivation there at all for that. There are so many easier ways to, you know, have somebody pet you on the head and tell you you're a good boy uh, than, than going out and trying to write a book. It is an extremely laborious process. It takes a long time. It takes concerted effort. And it probably stinks the first time you do it. You know, you get an editor to go through that and they could chop it up. I could spend, you know, I'm hoping to have it done by uh, October of this year, the first draft. And I could send it to an editor and they take my 30,000 words and say, well, 10,000 of these words are terrible. And then I have to spend another many, many, many hours making it, uh, you know, what it should be to get the message out right. But the the process for me was answer the question of why. What is the mission of this book? And then from there was an outline. I have a chapter outline. There's 13 chapters in the book, uh, and each one of them is linear. It's additive. You start at chapter one, and chapters two, three, four, et cetera, build on uh, what came before it in the book. So it's not one of these where you can just jump to chapter six and you know grab something that is a standalone content. It's designed to be read cover to cover. Um, the, each each chapter is very specific in its focus, but it's pieces of the puzzle that when you put them together, it makes a lot of sense. But you know, if you're you just hopping in here and there, uh, it may not make sense. It, it's a combination of 
narrative of storytelling and, and, you know, best practices and trying to give something actionable to the reader, something that they can sink their teeth into and then go and put into practice and be better because of it. Hey, Freedom Jumper, are you looking to take your business to the next level? Who isn't, right? Write more business and see your agency succeed with NBS. At Nationwide Brokerage Solutions, they understand the challenges local agents face in the constantly changing marketplace. That's why they offer a wide array of personal and commercial markets and policy options to help you meet the needs of your customers, no matter how unique or outlandish they may be. With a team of experienced and dedicated professionals that provide you with the support and guidance you need to see your agency succeed, Nationwide Brokerage Solutions is here to support you every step of the way. Don't just survive in the competitive insurance industry. Thrive with Nationwide Brokerage Solutions. Get started today. Learn more at nbsbrokerage.com. Yeah, I think what you said, like, you know, the starting point is, you know, what, what am I trying to achieve with this book or this article or even, you know, sales conversation or post on social media? I mean, you need, you need the purpose. And um, I think you, you, you started with a great place and um, hopefully one day I'll be able to, to write a book either. I have no idea what it would be about, um, but it's definitely on my bucket list uh, to as something that I would like to achieve in, in my career as well. Me too. <laughs> That's why I'm doing it. Uh, you know, it's so many of my peers uh, have written a book uh, that is is useful. M- most recently, uh, David Carruthers, who was on the cover of your magazine uh, late last year, uh, Billy Wagner as well. Uh, he he wrote a book, uh, Business Masterclass, and uh, very accessible, uh, just really high quality, actionable content. You know, so many of the people that I you know look up to as as mentors and advisors, it's uh, it's something that they've done, and it's it just seems like that's what you do. You know, you get to a certain point in your career, and you've had enough success, and you want to share it with your peers. And uh, as David would tell you, you're definitely not writing a book to get rich and famous. Because at this day and age, nobody gets rich from writing a book. If you're trying to make money, that's a dumb way to make money. You, yeah, you don't get rich by being a writer. Full stop. I can, I can tell you that. Um, yeah. But um, yeah, no, I think, and also, I think it just speaks to a lot about independent agents, really. In this, you know, this, I say, the ecosystem that we're in. Um, you know, we we write a lot about the community involvement of independent agents, both like sort of on a local level, you know, with schools and, you know, churches or whatever that might be, you know, independent agents are, are giving people. Um, so, you know, it makes sense that they're people like yourselves and David Carruthers and are prepared to be giving with the best success tips and to share that with, with the community as well. And that's very much in the spirit of, of what the magazine does too, you know, um, and, you know, I'm actually working on a, a story about mentorship at the moment. Um, and it, again, this sort of giving mentality kind of, kind of plays into that as well, that you've got these, these agents that are maybe, you know, close to retirement, but a lot of them are just almost desperate to sort of give back, uh, to help the younger agents, to help these, these new guys that are coming in, because that's, that's what they need to do. They just have an urge to do that and be a, a generous person. So as I mm. say, I'm very lucky to be, I've landed where I land because I'm, I'm surrounded by, by people like that who, 
who want to help me and want to help the magazine. And, you know, I want to help them as well because it, it just rubs off on you. You know, you bring up an excellent point, and that actually takes me uh, to the, the final phase of the interview that I have planned. And of course, I'll hand you the mic and we can talk about anything that's on your mind afterwards. You mentioned a lot of people nearing retirement, and uh, our mutual friend, Chris Paradiso, has very famously said that insurance is too often stale and pale and male. And what one of the things that I see as a major threat uh, to our industry is the aging workforce where there's a very big gap of between those that are very experienced, have been in the game for a long time, and they are on their way out. You know, they are looking for an exit, looking to sell, looking to go enjoy some time on the golf course or a beach somewhere. And we're not bringing nearly enough people into the industry to replace those who have come before us. So that that talent and institutional knowledge gap, I think is, uh, I'd love to hear your take on that, but I wanted to hand you the mic and just ask, you know, for your perspective, what are one or two things that you uh, see as, as a trend or, you know, a challenge that needs to be addressed uh, by the PNC crowd in the insurance world? Yeah, I mean, I think, um, you know, I think, yeah, we kind of alluded, alluded to it a little bit there. You know, I think just, I think it's, there was that McKinsey study um, that came out a few years ago. I think it was 2018 that, you know, said that the insurance was going to lose a, a large percentage of its workforce. Um, and I think it, maybe we're coming up on, on when that was due to happen. Um, but, you know, I, I don't think it's it's quite happened. Um, but, you know, I think the the need to, to bring in young talent and to keep the, basically the the overall talent pipeline moving is is going to is continuing to to be something. Um, so you know, just across the five years that you know I've been sort of working on the magazine, I think I really think that's improved. I don't think the the, the job is done by any means. Um, I think you know we're seeing a lot more sort of universities and colleges with risk management programs doing a lot more interesting things. Um, you know, I've been able to get in touch with um, Gamma Rota Sigma, uh, the um, insurance uh, fraternity and sorority. Um, so yep. those sort of networks. Um, obviously, we've got the, the big eye, um, you know, young agents committee for state level and they've got regional chapters as well, which, you know, there's there's actually a lot of stuff happening in the industry to try and sort of address that. Um, so that really is just sort of, you know, impacting you know, that age part. So um you know finding talent um so that's sort of just one part of it but as you say like bringing the people in is that's just really the the first step um i think the the other part of it is that that transfer of knowledge um between the guys that are you know in their 60s um who we need to find a good solid way of getting their experience into the minds of people who are in their late 20s early 30s so that when they get reach their sixties, they can pass it on to the next generation of people. Um, so I think that's I think it's kind of happening. Um, and it's been said this article that I'm writing about mentorship. It's going to be out in November. It's it's really interesting to hear that that it is it's it's in the works, but it's just a little bit about being intentional about it. Um, so um, and just evolving a little bit. And um, you know, I don't think that there's too much of a clash between generations you know there was a a bit of a thing um 
a few years ago, this sort of boomer versus millennials thing. Um, I think that's a little bit tired, you know. I think both boomers and millennials are broad and complex generations, and within each of those generations, there's going to be different people with different opinions. So um, when it comes to transferring knowledge, it's just pairing the right two people together um, and just taking it one, one person at a time, one, one job at a time. And um, I think it, I think it will be addressed in, in due course. Um, but then, you know, coupled with that, you know, the, the new world of work, whatever that is, um, I think we're still just trying, everyone's just figuring that out a little bit. Um, still trying to figure out what works, whether fully remote, hybrid, in-person. To that, I would say that you're going to struggle to attract young people if you're fully in-person. I mean, that's, it's going to be kind of hard. Um, mm. So you might need to adapt a little bit there, but, you know, it's all, it's all give and take. Uh, if, if you want a career, then maybe you've got to go to the office three days a week. Uh, but if you want to attract the talent, maybe you've got to let them work at home two or three days a week as well. And I think that is probably the biggest lasting impact of COVID is in order to survive, so many agencies dramatically relaxed the way that work happens uh, so they could retain uh, their workforce, so that workforce could continue to be productive members of the team, you know, during lockdown and during social distancing and, you know, all of the challenges that happened during COVID. And, you know, for the most part, it seems like we're on to the next crisis now. You know, COVID has uh, largely come and gone. And, and I, you know, my personal belief is it's going to be like the flu where, yes, COVID is now here. COVID will be here pretty much forever. And, you know, there will be COVID season at times during the year. Well, oh, make sure you get your COVID shot, just like it is for influenza. Or, oh, what's the strain this year? Well, it's a it's a different strain. So we've got, a uh, you know, a vaccine for this year. It's different. Uh, I don't think we'll ever be truly rid of COVID. I think it's it's here forever in some way. And the impact on how work happens, like physically, structurally, locationally, like actual, where are the people? Are they remote? Are they sitting at home? Are they at a coffee shop? Are they in an office? Are they in a high rise? All this big, fancy commercial real estate that we've been spending decades building as a country, they all look kind of uh, obsolete to a large extent at this point. Uh, I'm really curious to see how that happens. Uh, what's your take on the whole uh, workplace dynamic thing? Yeah, I mean, I mean, the the magazine team, as I say, our team of three. Um, I live in Oregon. Um, we've got a person in Virginia, and we've got a person in Alabama. Uh, so we are a remote team. Um, we've only in, over the past two years we've been in the same room once, um, and you know, I hope that the quality of the magazine that we put out speaks to how well that our team works. Um, so, you know, that's maybe just the nature of our work. You know, you can do interviews over the phone, you, you can write, you can edit anywhere, you know, you can, you can do it on vacation, as you say, from a coffee shop and it doesn't really matter. But, um, I think, um, I think everyone does miss in person a little bit. I think you have to have at least some in person and I'm not sure if that occurs weekly or even monthly. But you need to see each other sometimes, just like you need to go and visit your grandparents sometimes. Like yep. you need, you need to see them and be face to face and, and talk and, and spend time together. Cause 
being a team is, you know, it's easy to sort of be a remote team, but I think you'll be a stronger team if you just get together every now and then, even if it's two or three times a year. And that's the way we're, we're kind of approaching it. Um, and I mean, with the insurance workflow, again, I, it was five years ago where I worked in a, in a brokerage. So I, ex- I expect things are probably even different from then. But, um, I know from listening to people like yourselves, a large portion of that can be done, uh, remotely, but there's still stuff that needs to be done in person. So I don't think anybody should expect to be 100% remote for the rest of, of their time. Basically, I think there's a, a percentage to be in person always. There, there's always going to be a place for getting in a room together and sharing ideas and, you know, breaking bread at the lunch table uh, and just having those human connections, those meaningful interactions, whether it's with a teammate or it's with, a, you know, a, a peer in a different office or one of your insureds, you know, a client out in the marketplace there really isn't any replacement for face to face interaction. Um, that that will always be a thing. But to your point, you know, in order to innovate, in order to survive, like businesses have to be willing to be flexible about exactly how that happens. Because uh, there's a lot of convenience of, you know, not commuting. I, I saw a thing on LinkedIn this morning that talked about how the American workforce uh, this year will save approximately 2 billion hours not commuting. I'm just like, Wow, two yeah, billion hours as a as a workforce, and it's a country. Obviously, we're talking about you know somewhere close to two hundred million people working, um, but two billion hours saved—that's a massive bump to productivity if we if we capture it correctly. Yeah, and I say with gas prices over the past year, I mean everybody's jump was jumping in their cars. I mean, think about how much gas money was saved in that time yeah. as well and i think if everybody's got a little bit of extra money in their pocket they're going to be happier um if one's got an extra hour at the end of the day to do whatever it is that makes you happy that you would otherwise be spending in the car or on the train then i think that makes for happier people too um but finding that balance whether that occurs every day of the week or a few times a week uh, is i think it sort of depends on the, in the individual and then the company so as we get ready to land the plane, Will, anything else you want to bring up? Any topics that we haven't touched on that you wanted to get into? Uh, I'll hand you the mic and we can take it any direction you want to. Um, you know, I'll just I'll say I think I just want to just share the, the value of, of the big eye, really. You know, the, the big eye has a, a whole breadth of of benefits to, to being a member. And, you know, the magazine is in a very strange place where it's only sent to members. Um, it's, you can't buy a subscription to the magazine. Um, only agency staff, uh, who are members of the big eye receive the magazine. But, you know, the mag, as I say, the magazine is just one of a, a plethora of, of other benefits from, you know, market access, uh, with, with big eye markets. We have a employee benefits program. We have independent agency ENO, uh, coverage, which is, uh, one, you know, one of our most popular programs, we have the uh, Big Eye Virtual University, uh, where, you know, they've got a whole library of articles and including a service where you can email a question and it will be answered by, uh, a, a bunch of experts that we have on staff that uh, some of them are volunteers and are paid. Um, you know, there's, there's really a whole world within the Big Eye that, um, you know, I'm, I'm 
glad to have an opportunity to talk about that just even beyond the magazine uh so um we've got services that can help scratch agencies as well um you know if you're thinking of just starting an agency from nothing uh, or if you're thinking of moving over from the captive world you know we will will have something that um will make the you know the annual dues you know well worth it and pay for themselves times over well, at this point, I feel like I, I could easily be called out for banging the drum a little too much on the value and benefit of association membership, one, and engagement, two. Uh, just a, a couple of weeks ago, everybody heard from Marit Peters, who's the executive director of the Big Eye of Texas. And uh, Cass, as as I'm sure you're aware, uh, is a, a big fan of the Big Eye and, uh, you know, the the work being done at state houses and in DC uh, advocacy to me is the crux of the whole thing. Uh, yes, it's great to talk about market access and it's great to have these educational programs, but at the end of the day, the biggest, most important benefit of the big eye and the other associations that represent insurance agents uh, in houses and places of government is that advocacy, the stand in the gap and make sure that you know, good laws are written and bad laws get killed uh, and that, you know, someone is standing in the gap to to help us get what we need from uh, the governmental and the legal side of what we do as professionals. Because, you know, it, it was pointed out to me uh, that it's not just the laws that get written. It's preventing the bad laws from ever being being seen. Like what the big eye does, most of, of what it does from a, an advocacy perspective, nobody ever hears about because it was not that they got some great law passed. It was that they prevented a terrible law from ever becoming law. And, and just that advocacy, I cannot say it strongly enough. It is the most important thing because each of us individually can very easily get passed over. Someone doesn't think or care about us. You know, you know my office here, I have eight employees full time. Uh, and two that are working overseas. I'm a nobody to the legislature, to the folks in the houses of Congress. I'm a nobody. But when myself and you and thousands of our peers come together and speak with one voice in front of those people, they recognize and they listen a lot more. And outside of something like the big eye, that simply doesn't happen. There is no mechanism for it to happen. So it's I'm a little bit biased because I've been one of those lobbyists. I've I've gone with NAFA uh, before before I was on the independent side. I went to D.C. twice uh, with NAFA and did lobbying and uh, was in Senator Cruz's office here uh, from Texas. Uh, so I've seen firsthand what that advocacy looks like in practice. And I don't know how that gets done if not for organizations like the Big Eye. Well, yeah, and, you know, the big guy's been doing that since day one. Um, the big guy's been, been doing that advocacy for 125 years from the earliest, you know, legislation that made sure that independent agencies were able to, you know, own their expirations to, you know, preventing banks from being able to, to sell insurance and tie that to, you know, other products such as, you know, lending and things like that. Um, it's supported, you know, flood reform, crop reform. Um, you know, we're working on, you know, ensuring that, you know, independent agents are protected by, you know, national laws as well as the state laws. Um, 
I have to say that I do hear more about um, what happens in, in DC and in Congress uh, because of, you know, I, I work for the, the National Association. Um, but, you know, I hear so many stories as well of independent agents uh, you know, joining the big eye. And then throughout their career, they end up as congressmen or people who are in the state houses and they remember, you know, who the big eye are and, and what the big eye does. And it's almost like the, the representation there on, in the sort of legislature just continues. Love it. I, I won't rule out a political office at some point. If I get the opportunity to be down in Austin 20 years from now when kids are grown and, and no longer under my roof and the agency is running nicely without my daily involvement. Uh, yeah, who knows? Maybe I end up running for office at some point a very long time from now. Uh, but I think that'd be a lot of fun there. to happen at some point. You have to come and speak at the Big Eye Legislative Conference in uh, in DC when if that happens or when it happens. No, I, I will be happy to commit to that now. If I ever take public office, uh, you guys will have an open door whenever you want to come talk to me. I might have to confess a little bit of bias uh, when it comes time to to rule on matters regarding the insurance industry, since I have you know devoted so much of my career to that. Um, I'm not sure exactly how that works uh, when you're an elected official and you're owning a business in a certain industry. Do you have to recuse yourself or you know admit a conflict of interest and not participate in a vote? I'm not sure how that works, but maybe we'll find out someday. Who knows? Yeah. Anything else you want to talk about, Will? Are we we ready, basically land, ready to land this plane? No, I, I think that's that's it. I think, um, as I said, thank you for, for having me on the uh, on the podcast. Uh, I really appreciate it, and uh, yeah, thanks for, for listening listening to me. So, does an I, IIABA, a big I member, do they automatically get a magazine sent to their office when they're a member, or do they have to ask for it? They uh, as soon as their uh, member information is added to the database, they're added to the, the mailing list. Yeah, so that they'll they'll get a magazine. Um, we also have a digital edition of the print magazine. Uh, so you know, once you join the Big Eye, uh, you get a login where the login you would use to access all the other Big Eye benefits. You can read the the digital edition of the magazine, which is the same as the print edition. It's just in a nice sort of online platform. Um, and you'll be added to all the, the e-newsletters. We've got two e-newsletters a week. Uh, we've got, and two monthly ones as well. Uh, so that's got to say all the articles that me and my team write, as well as the ones from other agents and other industry stakeholders. Um, so yeah, uh, but some information and some articles are available on iamagazine.com. You can just go there and, and read those articles, but that's, um, they're really just the sum of what we do. We, we do make me hold back a lot of information just just for members fantastic and engagement of course is something you're always looking for more of uh any sort of feedback hey loved this article hey didn't like this one doesn't really matter you just want to have quality engagement with your readers uh with big eye members uh so visit iamagazine.com uh, and you can find lots of ways to engage with the team here with with will and his colleagues at independent agent magazine. He is Will Jones, and he is the editor-in-chief of the Independent Agent Magazine, part of the Big Eye uh, at the national level. Will, I really appreciate your time today. Thank you so much uh, for joining us. Oh, thank you. That's another episode in the books. Ladies and gentlemen, make it a great day, and we will talk to you again real soon. Y'all take care. 
Thanks for listening to the Agency Freedom Podcast. Please subscribe to AFP on your favorite platform to get automatic updates with every new episode and help other people find us. If you like what you hear, please drop us a review and tell the world what you like best. Most importantly, please share AFP with someone you know who is still in captivity. They'll thank you later. Visit our website at agencyfreedom.com to get access to exclusive content and announcements. Join our community on Facebook by typing in Agency Freedom in the search bar. Send your questions, comments, guest recommendations, and favorite grilling recipes to us at podcast at agencyfreedom.com. This is the Agency Freedom Podcast, where we help insurance professionals move from captivity to freedom. Until next time, let's go. Hey, agents, listen to this. Listen to this. What are we terrible at? Think of it. Think of it. Really? We're, we're terrible at training, right? We're not very good at hiring. We're not very good, terrible at firing, actually. Uh, terrible at creating process and some workflows. Terrible at technology and implementing that technology and even knowing what type of technology we want. And the list goes on and on. Now, listen, I'm an agency owner. And I, you know how it is to, to fix a problem. The first thing you got to do is you got to admit you have a problem. Here's what you do. Go to virtualintel.com. Check out what we do because we do all those bad things that you can't do. Really? And you may do one or two of them well. Good for you if you can do them all. Just want you to know you're in the minority. But if you can't do any of them good or you don't even want to do them anymore because it just takes too much mental power, then good for you for realizing that and give us a call. I'm telling you, virtual intelligence, that's what we do. And where we specialize in high quality VEs, not virtual assistants. Look it up. Go to ChatGPT. Put in what's the difference between a virtual assistant and a virtual employee. Enough said. I don't have enough time to go on and on about all the differences on this 60 second commercial, but you've got time to search it and look at it. That's what we do. We deliver high quality VEs. We mix the technology with it. We train them on the technology, give them and the technology to you and you're off to the races. I'm not joking with you. You can call my agency at any time, ask for Lordland. And we do ask her, say, how fast are you able to do quotes? I've actually got a couple videos of it. That's right. We can do five to 10 carriers in one quote in three to seven minutes. So you give me an auto quote, I can do five to 10 carriers in three to seven minutes. How are we doing it? We're doing it through the technology of virtual intelligence. Give us a call, check us out. You can ask for me personally, I'll do the demo for you. Who are they? Cast certified.